Hi everyone, Raphael Harry here, and you're listening to White Label American, a podcast where we hear stories from an immigrant or two, sometimes more. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of White Label American. Thank you all for joining us today. Before we begin, I would love to acknowledge and give a special shout out to each and every one of my sustaining contributors. Thank you for being patrons, making this podcast possible, and helping to build a community. For our first-time listeners, with regulars who at this moment may not be able to sign up on Patreon, we understand you can still support this podcast via subscribing, sharing, giving five stars, and a positive review wherever you listen to podcasts on and um, platforms. Don't, don't forget that you can also get our t-shirts in whatever um, color that you prefer um, in the show notes or go to vetclothing.com, vetclothing, V-E-T, clothing.com. All right, so let's go straight up to our guest. Today's guest is, uh, this episode could be tagged white label, white label Canadian because we're going across the border into our northern neighbors. And uh, this is the first time we'll have a solo guest from our neighbors up north. So today's guest is, a, is also a podcaster. She's also a sociologist. She's a blogger, a social activist, a natural hair grooming. She also has a natural hair grooming blog. She's quattrolingual, and she's an all, um, she comes in so many forms of awesomeness because she's multi-talented and um, has the black woman magic going for her. And she's just so many things that I won't be, we will spend hours if I just start breaking it down. So without much further ado, I welcome Anik. Um, how you say your last name? Bis- I had it and I, it disappeared. Um, how do you say your last name again? It's Bissant. Bissant. It's very Frenchy. B- Hi, Joshua. How are you? <laughs> um, I'm, I'm Raphael. I'm, I'm using uh, the studio's Zoom. So it's still Raphael. But you, you're seeing Josh on the screen. So it's okay. Um Oh, yeah. Wait, your file. Yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, so uh, Anik Bissant is our guest, and welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm great, Rafael. How are you doing? I'm doing Thanks good. Thanks for inviting me. Um, I have some allergies, so bear with me. All right. So um, you're, you, you already alluded to your name being French, and. Um, uh, both your, your your first and your last names, are they both French? Yeah, well, they, they do have a pretty uh, French sound to pronounce it, a pretty French pronunciation. Um, I'm from Haiti, so we also speak French and Creole. And now I'm living in Montreal in Canada, so the French part of Canada in Quebec. Okay. And, um, yeah, yeah. I, I was going to get to all that, but I was just focusing on the name for mm-hmm. now. So... Just so, did, did I say your first name correctly? Yeah, that's correct. Anik. Anik. Okay. Yeah. So, is there a meaning to your first name? 
and last name? I would have no idea. <laughs> okay, so you haven't looked at Well, the it translation of my last name in English would be two cents. Two cents. Yeah, like a, a cent. Um, oh. Like Joe, oh. Joseph, like, I don't know, this is what would be the translation of it. <laughs> uh, but Joseph has a meaning. I used to have a book of names, so I, I knew a whole bunch of meaning of names. Like, I know my name has... Um, I know the meaning of my Raphael is a Hebrew name, which is mm. like a healing of healing of God. If you're going by Raphael on the Hebrew side, um, Harry, my last name is uh, Celtic, and um, is the same as Henry on the English side, which is uh, a rich, powerful lord. Or it might be different if you go by the to uh, if you break it from English to Celtic. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, but if you go by the English word of Harry is also an, a word like an, I think an adjective or yeah, something like that, which um, led to one of my cousins being kicked out of the family. Well, I don't know if he was kicked out, but he found Jesus, like found Jesus from the family, which is already conservative. And he went and found Jesus on his own, like at the extreme level that even the most evangelical person in my family was like, okay, you're too extreme. And he said, we need to change our name from Harry because going by the English word of Harry, Harry means a fool. Mm. So he was like, no, that's not the name this family should be going by. Like, uh, that's not the name. The name Harry doesn't mean a fool. Harry means a rich, powerful lord. But... Uh, that became an issue, so he changed his name to I think what he changed his name to Israel, Israel or praise or something else like that. Why well, nobody ever changing their name to the traditional name? That's uh, another topic, but yeah. All right. So you already mentioned that you were born in Haiti, which is or you gave that spoiler out early. So, <laughs> um, where in Haiti were you born? And um, so when I say where in Haiti is like cities, states. Does Haiti do states or regions? Yeah, we do have provinces okay. and uh, cities. So um, I was born in the capital, so Port-au-Prince. Yep. That's the capital of Haiti, so that's where I was born. And um, my parents are actually from two different regions, from the north and the south. Um, but they migrated to the capital, like most of the people at the time, to find uh, jobs and to go to university. Okay. So... Is there like one main main university only in the capital or are there other universities in other parts of Haiti? Um, that is a very good question. I'm pretty sure the main ones are in the capital. Okay. Um, only universities, but schooling, there are other ones everywhere. Um, as of school and high school and stuff like that, it's more universities. In the capital, but there is um, one for environment, environmental studies. It's oh, a little bit outside of the of the like the main main city, a little bit outside because it's environmental studies. So you mm -hmm. need a little bit more space. Okay, yeah, makes sense. Yeah. All right, so that's uh, something a little bit similar to um, Nigeria. Um, the only difference is that people do not go to the capital for university. I think the university is capital, although it probably has access to more funding because the majority of universities are funded by the federal or state governments. Um, yeah, but the, that, that was at the, t the time of my parents. 
more. Like now, no, I'm, I'm talking of now in Nigeria. It's majority okay, okay. Yeah, funded by. Yeah, there, there, are, there are lots different. of universities in Nigeria, but the the more popular universities are not in. The, nobody goes to the federal capital mm-hmm. for um, because Nigeria is supposed to be a federal system, so we call the capital federal capital. Um, you, nobody says I'm going to the federal capital to attend university. It's probably no. I've never heard anybody saying that. It's it's like you don't have a um you, you don't you you don't have an option. You you couldn't get into the other universities, and that was like your last resort. And you go to that capital, the university in the capital. I don't even know where that university is in the capital. I've, I don't think I even know anyone who's attended that university. It's not. It's never been on our agenda. We don't even think about it. But. Other universities around the country, the most popular ones, the biggest universities, yeah, they're scattered around the country. Every state has its own university too. So, and then there are a couple of private universities that keep popping up every year. A few churches own their own universities and some Islamic bodies also own their own universities, which have their own separate rules going on. So, yeah, but uh, the, the most pop, the biggest universities are federal owned and, um, uh, um, we also have like some, so like we have one in on the Eastern region, which is a uh, um, Federal University of Technologies and Agriculture. So it's supposed to mimic something like the, the, the one you're talking about, the environmental. So it's something along that line, but it, they added technology to the name. And then you have some that are University of Fisheries and Agriculture and um, University of uh, Maritime Studies. So University of Maritime Studies is in a coastal city. And um, so there, there's stuff like that, which you, you by the name, you see where the university is situated, uh, located at. And it makes sense. It's supposed to make sense, but only that the funding is just a little bit dry. So that that's what I meant by um, it's similar to what Haiti has in mm-hmm. locating the university outside of uh, the big city. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I already know from spying a little bit into your 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 story when you appeared on um, Aaron's podcast uh, that you left Haiti early, but um, still, um, where would you consider your favorite childhood memory uh, from? Um, that is a very good question. I would say, uh, well, from Haiti. Um, my favorite childhood memories would be like going to carnival with my family. And, uh, we used to go to the South of the country for carnival. That's where mostly at the time, um, best carnivals were happening. And, uh, my mom is from there. So we usually go for like a week, um, just for carnival. It's very important for us, like, uh, carnival time. It's a good, mm. it's a good moment to, to blend as, uh, as a community, uh, everybody is really blended and <clears throat> you can enjoy at the same time, everybody's happy mood. And uh, it's also a great way to to put forward our culture and uh, for artists to also be creatives and share their their passion and innovation. So it's always a good time. And then we stay with families and friends and everybody's just happy. So I think that's one of my best memories because I used to go with all my cousins, brothers, and and uh, we go to our grandmother, grandmother's house. So it's like it's like going to camp type of thing. So it's like the same vibe that you have to go to camp in, um, in other countries. And then that's, that was for us just to go to a carnival. 
It's fascinating. I've never heard of uh, a carnival describing the, the way you just described it. And yeah, it, it, it's beautiful, uh, as in uh, for good time for community. And so you guys took the whole week off and just went for a carnival. Yeah, usually, um, if I remember correctly, like carnival, it's like three, four days. Mm -hmm. um, but in the south, okay, there, yeah, was, that takes, there was that's also, like a week too. Yeah, yeah. There's also like a carnival one week before, so there's like the national oh, one, okay. and then there is also the carnival of the city before one week before. So like, if you can, if you can, like just go for one week. Mm. Um, it's just best. So you have both carnivals. So often you will have people going one week before and then other ones would come just for the national one. So it just depends how you manage your time and, and, and everything. Yeah. But it's good to, to see both. Oh, nice. See, that's another thing that um, I got to discover later in my life that uh, literally almost every Car caribbean country has a carnival or has some history to yeah. its carnival because uh, i think the first time i ever heard of carnival or saw carnival on tv was just brazilians and you know yeah, brazil. it, it just seemed to be only brazil and i was like oh carnival brazil that's all associated with my brain and of course it wasn't like there were even dark-skinned brazilians on the on the parade it was so i was like carnival is not something that black people do and when there was talk of bringing carnivals to different parts of Nigeria, and I'm like, why, why, why are you bringing this stuff? What, what are we going to do with carnival? You know, not like I, I was in a position to say no, but it didn't make sense to me because I'm like, oh, what, what, what do I, black people don't do carnival, you know? So if I was in a group of um, with people who were talking about carnival, like, yeah, we don't need this, or why are we doing this? It was because all the pictures I had seen at one point in time were, of mostly light-skinned people or white in passing people celebrating doing carnivals and i was like yeah it's not us but oh wow that's that's a very different perspective well yeah but if i'd seen people from haiti doing it you know jamaicans it'll be later on before and later i will see jamaicans but I, it, it it so that interpretation will even occur to me that people look like me were doing carnivals they've been doing it for years you know for as long as possible and it never occurred that, you know, it's something that we even had carnivals in our part of the world, but messaging had changed it to something else. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. Well, yeah, it's not something that we should be ashamed of or we should deny, you know. It's something that should have been embraced because we have a big carnival in uh, Calabar, which is like, if, you, if, if anyone wants to go to Nigeria, that's where I would recommend you go during December. It's the whole month. They just party for a whole month. That's it. Yeah. You, know, you know, that's why people go there and say they don't want to come back. I'm like, yeah, you won't come back if you go party for a whole month, you know. Yeah, that's very true. Like in, in Brazil, it's it's very popular in Brazil. It's like um, internationally speaking, I guess it would be one of the most international ones. But in the Caribbean as well, it's very international for the English Caribbean. And then you also have uh, Caribbean in Haiti and other countries in the Caribbean, like more on the French side, but it will be very hype in the English, like Jamaica, Barbados, um, that's real hype. But in Brazil, um, there are a lot of Afro-Latinos too. Oh, yeah. uh, right now, I guess now it's it's getting much, much and more blended with the Afro-Latinos. Maybe before, like 
few years ago it was more like uh, light-skinned people. But um, I, I think they've always been the there. Case. They've always been there, but it was yeah. the focus was never on Probably, them, yeah. and it just made it easier for the messaging to even like because like in Nigeria, I don't I don't know if in Haiti if the the telenovas and the the, mm -hmm. the soap operas from the um, Hispanic TVs are huge there, but for us in Nigeria, huge mm -hmm. and. You know, so we, we, we've been introduced to um, Hispanic America for a long time. But all we see is just one picture also. So it's kind of the same thing, but you're not seeing that there are people that are dark-skinned yeah. Hispanics yeah. in those movies, in those shows. Especially in telenovelas. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so like, uh, I, can't, I, think, I can't remember what that show was called, but um, I had a previous guest who has been on one of the most popular uh, telenovas and we were talking about it on, on, on the podcast and I mentioned how first time I saw a black person on a telenova but I don't even know how we came to that conclusion but we just assumed he was an American who got lost and found himself in Mexico that was well, we were kids also but I don't know how or when somebody just came up with that because his hair was dyed he barely spoke so it was oh this, this, some black guy they just found him Casted him, <laughs> just trimmed there, and you, we all went with it. And just yeah, yeah, because to us, how could the, someone that dark be Mexican? It didn't make sense to us. Like you can't be Mexican, although in, in in football, soccer that we all watched, there were dark skinned Brazilians. We saw the Afro Brazilians. We saw the Afro Bolivians. We saw the Afro Ecuadorians. We saw the Afros in other countries. But it's like yeah, but when we watch the Brazilian soap operas, there's no dark skin. There's no Afro person. <laughs> it's all white in person. And it's like, oh, wait, why? And so the, the, so then when you see carnivals, why would you be expecting to see the dark-skinned person dancing in front? You know, you're not going to be expecting to see, because you, your programming is already being pushed to one side. You're already see, expecting to see one type of Brazilian. Then when it gets to football, then, aha, you expect to see the dark-skinned guy show up there. And then, but you don't question it. And then when it it starts to hit you, then you're like, oh, wait a minute. They've always existed. I've been seeing them too, but I just never saw them here. And that's when it, it occurs to you that, yeah, there's something pushing them aside. Even in Europe too, the same thing. Yeah. Ah, but yeah, it's uh, part of the learning process that uh, we're on right now. So uh, you left Haiti when you were age um you're quite quite early in, in, in uh quite young and you moved uh your, your whole family moved to um canada right mm -hmm, correct and you, you found yourself so what, what what city did you move to i moved to montreal okay so and since then you've always been in montreal yeah okay so um you arrived in canada New country, bigger country than Haiti, both in land, uh, you know, landmass and um, and totally different weather to Haiti and everything. What was that like for you? That beginning phase. Um, it was a very cultural shock, um, especially that I would be part of the immigrants who came with a heavy background because we left the country because of political issues and a lot of things happened before we came. It's not like we decided to go, to come here on our own. Mm 
we were kind of pushed out of the of the countries that were not prepared for that and um so it was very complicated i guess it would be complicated for everyone but especially for me since i was the youngest so it's like you don't really understand what's happening yeah so it's a very much of a cultural shock and also like just an emotional shock as well it's like in the beginning you're like yeah, you're changing a new country. And then after you go to school and then everybody's like, oh, I don't understand what you're saying. What's that accent? Um, you, you you don't feel like you connect to 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 the people in there. And it, it's so funny that I still don't connect to so many people right now. Um, even after like a few years, almost 15 years, I believe, if I mm-hmm. count well. Um, so it, it was very difficult. On my my perspective, was very difficult, and um, I, I did know some people that was in the same school as me. So I I got into school in the middle of the year. So it's like it's already a difficult situation for every kid to just go in a new new school in the middle yeah, in the of, middle. Uh, of wow. the year. Yeah, so that's, that's tough. Yeah. So for for me it was like double tough in the sense that you're changing country, you're changing everything and just in the middle of the year. So I was really sad to leave my friends and um and um so it, yeah it was it was just the whole change emotional shock that was that happens to mainly every kid but here it was like double. So I didn't speak to to a lot of people for a year, I was not like the really talkative person and I, I am normally a social person and I like speaking, I like talking to people, but with the accent being, it's like I, I spoke French, so thank God I spoke French. It's yeah, well, I was just about to ask that question. Yeah, so it's even harder for other people who don't speak the language, so thank God I didn't mm-hmm. have to learn the language and stuff, but it was for me, it was more on the accent side um, because in Haiti, we do have a Haitian accent. We speak French and Creole, but like, yeah. You can mix Creole from French because they're so similar to it. You can mix French to Creole. It's like at the end of the day, when you speak both of the languages, mm-hmm. um, you just ended up mixing them all. Like if I speak to my Haitian friends, like you will just listen to few Creole words just popping up in our conversation. So if you speak French, you will be like, "What? What did you just say here?" So, um, so it was an adaptation for me there in the in just the accent and language part, not to learn it, but just to understand. And also, like in Quebec, they do have an accent themselves, and uh, they use other expressions like different from France. And uh, so that was difficult. And I went to high school from France. Like it's it's like a French system from France in Quebec in Montreal. So, um, okay, so the, so the, like the, the high school, school. system, yeah. that, that high school was, so the Canadian system is different from the French system. Yes, the Canadian system is a little bit, no, they have differences. Yeah, they, it, it is different from the French system, but okay. I went to the French system in Montreal. So it's like, I didn't go directly to the Canadian system. Yeah. So it's like outside of the school, I had to adapt to the French Canadian culture and then in the school i was adapting to the french from friends culture so it's like okay i was doing two integration at the wow. same time Mul- yeah multiple and, integrations uh, yeah so it's wow. like the kid in the school they, they would have more of a french from friends accent so it's like learning the new expressions the teacher mm-hmm. would speak from friends as well so i i was not exposed to Quebecer culture right away. It's like I got exposed to it after, like when I started working, like more in the workforce. So it's like almost 10 years after. So um so it's 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 a 
Canada itself already has a, a really complicated identity. So like coming as an immigrant and being on the French side, it's like you you do have multiple identity <laughs> crisis wow. in there because it's already complicated on its own. Wow, it, it, it does sound heavily complicated. So now let me put on my um, ignorant American hat. Let me put, put it that way. <laughs> so Montreal is part of Quebec, right? Yeah, so it's like you have Canada and you have provinces. So like okay. Quebec is a province. It's also the name of the city, the main city of uh, the province. Okay, so yeah, I think it's. Oh, I'm always. I've always been thinking about Quebec, the city, without okay, realizing that Quebec yeah. is the province. So Quebec, yeah. the province, is that where you have? Is that the the um? Should I call it the nationalist movement that wants to uh be independent from Canada? Yes, that's correct. That's so exactly that's that's the re- yeah. it's the region they're trying to get out of. Yes, that's correct. Okay. So okay. Toronto would be part of Ontario, so that's English. Let's say um, Vancouver is part of British Columbia. That's the province. So um, the rest of Canada is English, but Quebec is is French. French and, and Montreal is a bit more multicultural. And uh-huh. downtown Montreal, you have both. You also have Anglophones in Montreal, and you have Anglophones, and you can meet people who just speak English and uh, maybe understand a little bit of French or maybe don't understand anything of French and you can meet also the opposite, like people that are just Francophones and don't in- understand English. Um, but like obviously it depends on the youth, like the age, young people like are getting more and more bilingual. So there is a gener- generational differences as well. Yeah. So that's why I'm saying it's already complicated on its own. So coming as an immigrant to that and you're like, where do I fit? I speak French, but like I don't connect to all the francophone values and like where do i go like i'm not english like (laughs) Uh so it's like it's kind of difficult so i felt it as soon as i came there um because you were going to school and you were hearing one accent one expressions and you were learning to adapt to that and then once you go out so let's say i go to a store or uh, and then I hear a Quebecer accent and I'm like, okay, what did you just say? It's like I don't hear that every day, even though I mm. I live in the in the in the city. So that was kind of the the culture. And then at home, you have another accent at home. Then my parents, they they they're very Haitian. Yeah. They uh, they kept their accent. So it was like you you had to to get three identities in in one one city. Yeah. Okay. One identity. Now, now I'm, I'm 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 I think I'm getting it now. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm guessing it now because uh, we have a different, I'll say we have a different variation of that over here. And not all of us like to admit it, but uh, you, did you ever see this movie, Sorry to Bother You? No. I recommend you watch that movie. It's, uh, I think it's on Hulu now. I'll check, I'll check it out. Yeah, Sorry to Bother You. Um, what's his name again? fantastic actor he was all he's also in uh judas and uh the last messiah i think it's called um that's getting rave reviews right now uh like lakisha stanfield yeah i think lakisha stanfield is his name he's uh he, he was fantastic in that movie so that movie shows uh it, it's not an immigrant but he, the character he plays but it's kind of showing the black American, a black, um, I'll say a black person walking in a white space mm-hmm. and how we navigate, how we become fluid 
to be able to walk yeah. in the night in, in a, in a you like the water yeah yeah so you know because when he comes into that space he's, he's, he's working in a sales position and where he you know at first he tries to you know they, they say be yourself yeah but you can't really be yourself if you want to no, okay. perform a certain <laughs> if you want to exist and survive in certain positions and uh, uh, what's his name something Glover I forgot his first name why I forget his first name he's an older actor mm-hmm. uh, now well, his last name is Glover and um, he's sitting next to him and he's like you gotta put on your white man voice and he's like what? <laughs> he's like you gotta put on your white man voice and so they, they use different actors so they, they like use real white per- white actors to switch mm-hmm. when, when the black person switch so you're code switching that's what it's called code switching yeah, so code switching, there, yeah. there's a lot of code switching that you just said without saying it and uh we do that a lot because there, there are times when um even on this podcast i code switch and mm-hmm. even when i'm on other friends like um i was on um a friend's podcast they're they're, they're um, nigerian they were nigerians they were south africans and kenyans on, on, on for the, um, the recording they're all podcasters but i was the guest and but the interaction was different because it was like i'm with my people Mm-hmm. So I know how to communicate with them. But if I was communicating with, um, like on this podcast, I know I'm communicating mostly people in the Western audience. Mm-hmm. I can't really flow the way I flow <laughs> when, um, so the, 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 the tonation changes, the way I speak changes. And some people exactly. say, you're yeah. speaking white. Yeah. It's not, I'm not speaking white. I'm, it's, called, it's part of the evolution. It's part of the code switch. I'm surviving. And yeah, you're just you're yeah. just adapting its survival. Like for example, um, I, I've spoke to so many friends that are Quebecers. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say white Quebecers because, like, just to be specific, um, they themselves do as well a little coding switch because if they're from the region, their accent is much more stronger. Yeah. So once they come to the city and at work, they need to like speak slowly, and then sometimes the words they use is very close to old French, like very close to old French and. And like we don't use these words anymore. <laughs> like, wow! So one time, <laughs> That's one like speaking you, Latin. <laughs> yeah, it's like well, it's not that far, but but it's like why did you use this word? It's like I I thought the dictionary just lost that word. Like why? So, and it was so funny that by just speaking to them, um, we I figured as well we have a lot of words in common in Creole mm-hmm. because Creole is 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 mixed with old French. So, oh, okay. um, so there are a lot of like mosquitoes, for example, the way they say it in French, um, we say like maringouin in Creole wow. and they say like that too. For, for me, that word was Creole, but I ended up realizing that it's also a French word, but it's from old French. So, oh, fascinating. but like there are some, some similarities like that. But the thing is, my problem with the code switching is that it's the percentage that you do it for. Yeah. So they would do it like a 10% switching, for example. Like everybody needs to do a switching. You need to adapt to your to your audience. Like I'm not against this idea. I'm also in marketing. So I, I do that professionally. Like it, I also suggest other people to do it for their business. Like it, it just makes sense to just adapt to your audience. If you want to, if you're speaking to kids, you won't be speaking with that rough uh rough way like accent like very tough and stuff like you you're just going to be a little bit smoother with kids and mm-hmm. like it this is part of conversation and also part of the communicating with others it just makes sense but in 
our case, it's like you need to switch to at least 70%. You're almost losing your identity. You're almost losing yeah. yourself. So, so that's why in my case, it was like, for example, I have to switch three times and that could happen in one day. Let's say I go to school and I do eight hours there and then I go out, I go to the store. It's like another code switching and then I go home. Mm-hmm. It's another code switching. So do you know like how much energy I just wasted here? <laughs> it's like, exactly. that's a lot. like they, they need to do a switching, for example, just from work to home. That's it. But like, you don't have to do work, school, home, and then friends. And then in my case, it was also friends, mm-hmm. even in groups yeah. of friends. So like the people you're choosing. So it's like, that's that's where I would have a problem. So now, now I'm a bit older. I was also young. So yeah. as a young person, you're already having an identity crisis already. So you're adding that. So it's like, it, it, it's just getting bigger and bigger. So you also can have multiple identity crises as well, instead of having like just one big one big one as every normal young people. But um, but right now I just decided to do my code switching like I, to lower the percentage. Like mm-hmm. I would do it at least maximum to 10%. And the other thing, it goes to both sides. For example, when I go, um, when I started switching my accent just naturally because environmental environmentally speaking, you would be switching accent because that's just what you hear every day. So it would just come to you naturally at a certain point after a few years, you know? Yeah. So my Haitian friends now were like, oh, you're not Haitian anymore. So it happens in both sense, like both both places, I would say, it's in, in both um, both part of your life. So when I go to the Haitian part, they're like, oh, you, you, you don't have our accent anymore. So like you're, you're a Quebecer. When I go to the Quebecers, they're like, oh, you're not Quebecer, you're Haitian. So... So it's like it, it's tough, and people just just want to decide for you who you Ooh, are. Yeah, that's right. So uh, by being an adult now and uh, like young adult, I learned how to really assume who I was. Like it's still a learning process because there's also all those years that you have been doing that code switching for all these years. Like you, you kind of don't know anymore. It's like you, you need to search again of who you really are because you lost it for like at least more than 15 years so it's pretty tough it's more in that sense so like i would just i would just like lower the percentage like it it was just too much the 70 percent of my time doing a code switching indeed it's too much but before we continue um we shall take a quick break and we'll be right back hi everyone your host Raphael Harry here. I can't believe we have gone past our one year anniversary of doing White Label American. I've had the privilege of speaking with some amazing people, sharing their modern day immigrant stories. And you've allowed this Nigerian immigrant to share parts of his immigrant journey through this podcast. Also, one of my goals of this podcast is breaking down artificial walls that keep people from getting to understand each other. Based on your wonderful feedback over the last year, I think we have done a decent job in breaking down some of those walls. We would like to continue and expand on this mission, but we need your help. I've had an amazing time creating and producing episodes for this show largely on my own. We have a lot of 
ideas for new and exciting content to expand upon the mission, but we need direct support from you, our listener, which is why we have created a White Label American Patreon page where you can make a one-time donation or become a sustaining contributor where you can get access to exclusive content. Help me interview upcoming guests by submitting questions and even have the chance to sit down with me for a one-on-one conversation either virtually or in studio. So if this podcast means something to you and if you really love this show, think about becoming a sustaining contributor and donating by going to patreon.com slash white label American POD. Thanks for listening and for the privilege of your company. Okay, so welcome back. And yes, so um, very important point that you raised about the the code switching, uh, spending 70% is a lot. And I think, well, not just think, I believe that uh, it's important that we have such conversations because of the next generation, well, uh, well, um, the younger generation, because they will also go through um, similar um, identity um, crisis, if I may call it that way. And those of us who have identified this and have been through this, it's up to us to be there for them and say, hey, look, you don't have to spend 70%. 70 percent you don't have to you, you don't even have to go that you don't have to wait until you're a young adult to you know yeah do the white labeling which is what yeah. we are doing now we are doing the white labeling you're doing the white labeling canadian <laughs> I'm, I'm doing white labeling american and showing that um you can well you can do the code switching for only 10 percent and you're still canadian you can do the code switching for 10 percent and still be american um you don't have to toe that line of code switching 24 because there are times when i'm speaking like, wow you this your ni- ni- your Nigerian. I'm like, yeah, because there are some Nigerians who meet me. They're like, what? You you still have the Nigerian accent? Like you just left Nigeria yesterday? I said, uh, never left. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're the one who, who just assumed that because I can address a room full of one thousand people and sound like, um, yeah, I can sound as corporate as they come, and I can mm-hmm. also sound as who I want to sound like. But it's up to me, and I can white label it if I want to. It's yeah, mm-hmm. that's just me. And I talked to my daughter with, um, it's our variation of Creole. Um, I've seen a book of languages also, in, um, a map of languages in Nigeria, and they identified one part of Nigeria as having Creole separately. So I didn't understand if, but we didn't have a, a, a sociologist teacher then, because it was a public school, they were on strikes and those all crazy. But yeah. nobody could ever explain what, that language was in that part of the country. I've never met anybody from there, so I don't know. But um, what qualifies as Creole on average in, around Nigeria is Pidgin English. So I can say, how you did? What did it happen? Yeah, well, exactly. You know, so Creole is just like a, a mix. Creole means a mix of different languages. Yeah, so, so, broken, different so it's broken Creole. English for us. Yeah, yeah. So for you guys, it's broken French. I'm assuming oh. or just mixed of other languages we kind of involved with that mentality we uh we stop colonizing the language itself we're trying to there okay. there are a lot of social issues with the language as well but i think a lot of us now recognize it as a language especially 
it's also recognized right now as the like the popular Creole too on the French on the francophone side, I would say. Mm. Um, any Creole that is mixed with French, for example, on Google, if you want to translate, you would find Haitian Creole. But there are so many other Creoles, oh, yeah. um, close to French that are not there. For example, like they're from Guadeloupe, Martinique, like all the other Antilles, like French Caribbeans. There's also the Réunion Island. They speak Creole. It's not the same as us. What island? Uh, Réunion Island. Oh, Réunion. Yes, yes. That, that's one of oh. those islands on uh, African Creole. islands. So yeah. if, if you hear Réunion Island thing. Creole, you, do, do you understand it or does it take you longer? No, no, no. I don't understand it at all. It's completely different. Um, the one from Martinique and Guadeloupe, I would understand the concept, the okay. context that they're speaking, but there's some words that... Um, like I would, I wouldn't know what it was. I can, I can guess what they mean, and then it might be good. I have more chances that it's good than bad. But um, I feel like the opposite often works. It's like they might understand our Creole much more than us understanding theirs, mm. um, just because um, we're also many of us immigrated. So, uh, and also like for example, if you go to France, you you're always gonna have like see people like Caribbean people together with Haitians and then they're learning we're learning each other's language in Montreal we're yeah. also we're also a lot of the Haitian community is very big in Montreal so you're gonna always find like someone that that's gonna tell you I know Creole words and then it's always gonna be Haitian just because of that okay um but we speak Haitian Creole specifically and uh we recognize it as a language because there are also people in Haiti who only speak Creole. Yeah. And you don't speak French. So it's a language on its on its own because even for me, if I go and speak with someone that just speaks Creole, I might not understand at a certain point what they're saying because it's fully Creole. As of me, I speak a mix of mm -hmm. Creole and French. So I would be the pigeon. The person okay. that speaks the pigeon of Creole would be me. <laughs> okay. But um but I... uh because because we mix it up, but there there are people they only only speak Creole and uh, and some of them might not understand French or because if they're really outside of the city, they mm -hmm. don't need it in their work. <laughs> yeah. Um. So so they they just speak Creole. Yeah. Okay, that's beautiful. Because um, like in Nigeria, I'm using Nigerian example. So like in Nigeria, Western, um, Western Creole is Western part of Nigeria's Creole is different from um my part of nigeria the south southern okay. part okay. and in the south southern part the the one that has like the highest rating is or ranking is yeah. uh the 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 wafi region the wafi side the wafi city which is worry area because mm -hmm. that's the the one that's like when, when if you can speak it real good people, people gonna be like oh this is sweet man they're gonna clap for you <laughs> but it, it's also the, the one that they from speaking it sweet they can use it if they're threatening you with that you're like okay yeah yeah take just just take take whatever <laughs> man I'm, I'm not even gonna fight you and like yeah, when you, i used you, to speak it fluently i get I, I could i could challenge someone who looked like five times my size and they, 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 they won't dare to fight me because they, they will assume i'm from there they're like yeah this guy brings trouble they just give, give him what he wants walk away and then um when I was in uh, during my basic training, I met uh, a gentleman from Syria alone, and uh, so like the English-speaking West Africans, I can understand all um, all their Creole because mm -hmm. it's it the, the English part in there 
makes it easier for me. I just have to pay attention to what you're saying. You pick up the English yeah. words. <laughs> I can pick up. So with that, I can get the context and then I, I take it off from there. And uh, some mm-hmm. say ours is too fast. So like, but the Cameroonians also, the English part of Cameroon, because Cameroon is mm-hmm. in two countries in one. Um, mm-hmm. I, also, they, I also understand theirs. I've not heard the French part, but the English part, I understand it. But if you go to the northern part of Nigeria, they got their, theirs is like a reverse when they speak theirs. So if they are saying mm-hmm. you and I, it's literally I and uh, it's, no, no I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting how they say it now. It's like, um, he come, he come look for you. Well, no, I, so I, I come look for I'm you. Coming to I you. come look for you. It means, <laughs> it means he came, look, he came to look for you or she came to wow. look for you. So if wow. they meet them for the first time and he's speaking that you like, what is who's this? What is wrong with you? What is wrong with you, man? Like, nah, nah, nah. He, that, he, he, that's what is this this is the message. So sometimes it's good to send one of them to send to deliver a message because it's very coded and it's funny when wow. the person does not understand the message because it's like they reverse everything. <laughs> it's the opposite. Wow. Well, you you made me remember yeah. now. Um, even in Haiti itself, because I'm from the capital, so mm-hmm. I would know the. The Creole in the capital. So, in the north of Haiti, it's completely different. I don't understand. Like uh, I'm being fully honest. I don't yeah, that, that's that's fine. We, we can get it all. <laughs> and my dad, my dad is from north, but um, he knows he used to speak like that because they also have a different accent. And but he migrated to the capital very at the young age, actually. Yeah. Um. My mom was for university. My dad was much more in the young age. But the parents migrated there for them to go to university in the long run um so uh he changed his accent so he did the adaptation as well so like that's what i'm saying every time you migrated or immigrated like mm-hmm. you will have to do a little bit of a of an adaptation it's just like in some cases the percentage is just way too much so yep. my dad also had to do it because in the north it's a completely different Complete, completely different. I, I don't even know if there's a similarity with the 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 North Creole, like if with the West one and the yeah. South. It's a bit similar the South to the West, but they just have different expressions because you can also know where the person is from based on their expressions they use. So it's just mm-hmm. a complexity of languages. So that's why when people are like, "Oh, everybody speak that one same language," and I'm like, "No, no it's, no. it's like impossible to do that." So mm-hmm. you just need to ask questions, just like con- conversate with the person is just, instead of just assuming yeah. things. And because um, even in French itself, when you go to France, there's so many different um, accents and French expressions. Oh, yeah. Like, we, we know the tied ones to regions, tied to yeah, exactly. um, boroughs and all that. <laughs> but yeah, that's, uh, you know, we'll, we'll spend enough time on the um, languages and accents although there was still a language another language question I, I would have loved to ask but i'll save that for next time um so you have a lot of creative um energy that you give to the world and uh it covers you know various um i'll say various sectors and um it includes social ac- ac- uh, activism um, you also do great stuff that touches on your um, natural hair, which I, I'm trying to get into so I can, I, I want to get, I want to be able to do my daughter's hair. And, okay. um, um, 
you also like posting about food and making me hungry unnecessarily, which is something <laughs> I have to try to you as a dig, if you know. But um, it's a good dig, though. But you know. But um, you also have a podcast, which is um, called the Immigrants Immigrant Dilemma, right? And how did you come about that name? And um, going from that, we'll dive into the other, the other creative stuff that you do. How do you get inspired to, you know, pick a project and um, dive into? How do you find that creative juice to, you know, keep going? Yeah. So, oh my God, that's a very good question. Um, let's start with the podcast. The way I came up with this is, I feel like it's it's just part of myself. Um, it's part of me. What I meant by that is, you know, when you're just always doing things and it's always to the same angle and then you ended up doing something that finally just compile everything that you were doing with that same angle. For example, when I was, because I studied sociology and went back in, in university, all my papers were always with the same team. It was always about immigration, always about racism, feminism, and sexism. Like I always tend to stay within these these interests. And um, so, so when I started the podcast, it's like it's basically everything that I was doing before. I just put it official type of thing. And uh, and also in my Instagram page, I met a lot of people that I didn't know. I connected with people like I didn't know them and we connected very um in an amazing way online just like we connected for the podcast right now and uh, I asked my audience I wanted to do a podcast in what in what uh what type of topic I should be talking about so I remember like putting um I think I put it some examples and then people were like sending me messages and their answers and um and one person were like I think you would be really great with what you have been showing to us in your page. It just compiles everything into talking about immigrant dilemma because I was already talking about it. And uh, mm. <laughs> it's just like, it's just like, I just made it official with the, with the, the podcast. And I also did a show. Um, no, I didn't do a show myself. I was part of a show that was speaking about immigrants. Yeah. And uh, I shared my story in that show. It's a Montreal show here. And uh, so, like I said, I was already talking about immigration. And then I started that right after the show because I was like, I I did this. What can I do after to really make an impact? And uh, And that's how I started doing the podcast. And I'm also in digital marketing. So it's a great way for me to start doing this creatives. Mm. Uh, um, creative stuff as a way for me to learn in my professional career as well because I'm learning about podcasts I'm learning about optimization like that's what I do website optimization and stuff like that so I'm really really interested in anything digital and if I can combine social what I'm interested to with digital I'm always gonna go for it so Nice. So, uh, really, to just answer that very quickly, that's that's how I got into the doing the podcast about immigrant dilemmas. And my angle is very much on identity as a as a dilemma because we're developing a different identity with different backgrounds, and also the environment has an impact on us. So, 
it's what I leave myself. And I wanted to just find a way to share what I learned with other people and also hear other people's stories. So uh, my creativity always come with passion first and also what what I go through in life that I just want to share with others. Nice. Creativity with passion. Love that. So that would be the part for the podcast and to answer the second part of your question. So about hair, um, it's the same thing as well. I went through it myself, the transition. Um, I used to have the perms, straight hair, long, straight, uh, since I was seven years old. So my mom, seven to 10 years, I don't remember, like 10 years old I was, yeah, 10. So my mom decided to put the perm for me. So the relaxer. Yes. It's the the chemicals, uh, the chemically cream to make your hair straight. Mm-hmm. And um, it was just the way it was at the time. Everybody was doing it. So my mom just did it. And also we didn't have a lot of tools to do our hair at the time and also we didn't know what to do so it was very difficult because I had a lot of hair um and my mom too she had a lot of hair and she went through the struggle of like like it hurts you know so she didn't want me to she did it really with the positive intention like her intention wasn't bad because she was like I don't want my daughter to go through the same struggle that I was going through when I was young because like she was yelling, it, it used to hurt her. Like the whole neighborhood used to hear. Doing the, the you mean like the ironing of the hair kind well, of. Well, there thing. was ironing that, after um, that came after. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm I'm just yeah. re, I'm recalling the, the some of the processes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That came after when yeah. she got like almost sixteen years old. So throughout her whole childhood, it was like on with normal way like you wash your hair with soap type mm-hmm. of thing so. it, it's traumatic <laughs> it is traumatic yeah. when i look <laughs> back and I think yeah. back about uh, i know for boys you know like i used to have a large afro as a baby and going mm-hmm. into my toddler years and uh there was a fight to not have it cut but uh, there was there was an argument i'm a boy i shouldn't have that plenty shouldn't have of hair. hair yeah for boys it's different um, yeah but for you know and it was like, you know, we didn't, at one point in time, we didn't really have op- opinions for when it came mm-hmm. to picking styles. And I, I think I was nine or 10 when I started um, picking what hairstyle I wanted. And when I walked into the barbershop and said, I want this hairstyle. And uh, there, there was like always a shock every time I did that. Because <laughs> they was like, what? This, this, uh, this small picking. Look, this small picking. Yeah, who you think who you think they be? And then they will see that oh, there's an adult there with me, and then they will keep, okay, then they will give me the hairstyle. Like, oh, well, usually all the kids just come there and sit down. The, the Baba does whatever, but it used to look. We we used to picture it like you know, but due to the, the patriarchal system that we were in, as boys, we all said this is difficult because you know mm-hmm. um, they, you cut our hair, shave our hair, the hairstyle is difficult. But nobody ever pictured that how difficult it was for the girls, where you won't see the girls for a couple of hours. And it was traumatic on them, mm. the process that they had to go through. But yeah. instead, it became something that we made fun of. Like, oh, Christmas time, girls had to go do their hair on this street where it was like, oh, they'll be there for hours. Look at that. I can never be the boyfriend hours, to that girl. Days. Days. Yeah, and days. Yeah. Later on, we found out about days and we'll be making, but it was for making fun. That's all yeah. we, because we, we, we're like, oh, look at them. Go cut your hair like us. Save time and all that kind of thing. But it was just for making fun of mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. 
that's the only that's the only way we could we, we looked at it at but we never mm-hmm. looked at it that this stuff is actually traumatic because we'll see some of the girls like hitting their hair like ah, I, I can't I can't I want to scratch my hair but I can't touch it and it's like oh, and I'm like why, why are they going through all this stress why is it so so much work why is it and you, you don't feel free it's like if you need to go yeah. to the pool it's like you can't you can't you your yeah. hair wait one week you cannot touch and when you were doing the iron at the time like the old iron with the um, I don't know how to say this in in English like the fire it oh was the like, charcoal yeah the charcoal yeah. yeah it's like you had to put the brush and the charcoal I did that when I was the, the a kid when I was oh, before wow. putting the perm I did that it was still still uh, popular yeah. at my time but it was more on my mom's um, so I did that. It's like you you cannot drink cold water. You cannot oh, walk wow. food. It's like you cannot. It was just like such a. It was not a way of slavery. But yeah, it, it, <laughs> I agree because I I wasn't even aware about the drinking of cold water part. Oh yeah, you cannot do wow. anything cold. It's like if it's raining outside, you can't go out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they, so yeah, I know it's about. Like you, you're you're in a prison. It, it is a prison. It yeah. is, and we. So yeah, that that's one of the things that I'm. Most definitely said, yeah. But, you know, by the time I started getting aware of all this, today I'm no longer mad at women who wear wigs. I'm no longer mad at all. I'm like, nah, all that stuff came from it came from the wrong messaging from mm-hmm. me being like, ah, uh, yeah, a woman, a woman must, a woman must do this. A woman must, if you're not a, a real woman, must. Do. I'm like, yeah, I might want. It's not my head. It's not my head that the hair is on. So why am I the one defining what a real woman must go by? Now it's not my because if I can't put that on my hair, when when I tried to do dreadlocks once and the guy was like, Oh, you want to wash your hair for a couple of weeks or was it months? I said, What? You gonna put raw he said he's gonna put raw egg in my hair. Because I don't I don't know. Uh, this was uh 2002. I had an afro. Well, I'm bald now, it's different, but 2002 I had an afro. And he said it was gonna Put raw egg. I said raw egg in my hair, and I want to wash it immediately. He said no. I said hell no. Why? Well, like, how will I be walking around? My, it, won't, it won't smell. Hell no. I can't do that. No. But I'm the one that's going to be yelling at other people that this is how you must live your life. You must, no, 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 no. Mm-hmm. Girl, do whatever. Yeah. Do whatever make you comfy, please. Do yeah. It. So I guess now with the natural hair movement, that's mm-hmm. that's how people are are. Um, T- saying things and like thinking about that like it's slowly changing obviously there are some little issues within the natural hair community because yeah. they we went from always having it straight to always having defined curls mm-hmm. so it's like they're still telling us what to do so it's like <laughs> so it's like we're, we're getting there we're getting there slowly slowly we're getting there and i think it's a personality thing as well there's just some people there they 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 like being they're like embracing their differences. So yeah. it's just a matter of personalities because some people just can't deal with the social the social reaction you're gonna have because it could be harsh. Mm. Um. So yeah, that's how I started my other page of natural hair. I just wanted to share share that and because um, I was part of the first person to do it within my environment myself. Oh, wow. And uh, so it was also a way of, for me to search for answers type of thing because I was like, I don't know what to say. I never, I never, I was never aware of these issues. Like I was just doing it because my mom was telling me to do it and then yeah. everybody was telling my mom to do it. Like, so. So, so how, how like, did you inspire yeah. yourself to be the, the you know, was there any inspiration that made you 
Totally, Take that yeah. step, that to be that first yeah, person. Totally, because in USA, it started already in USA natural hair movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started in in Montreal like a little bit one year before it picked up really internationally. Wow. But there were a lot YouTubers already. Like I don't know what it would do without them. Um, they, they taught me a lot. Uh, I'm always on YouTube checking natural hair videos that's how I learned how to do my hair because nobody in my environment could help me because my mom would be the last person to help yeah um and now she's fully natural as well so it's like I kind of help her as well to stop putting um the perm and everything so I I I help and influence other people in my environment but I was part of the first people really to do it in in my my circle of friends and family members because they just didn't know what to do. I, I knew some people and also the the perspective of it, like for us, people without hair or women without hair and perm yep. were were nuns. Cause I went to yeah. nun high school back uh. in Haiti. So <laughs> it's like you're off the market if you don't have that straight, very sexy long hair hair it's like you, you you're you're not looking for her husband like, is, is it come on for widows to also have um like low cut hair do, 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 are you familiar yeah with it's that? like when yeah exactly low cut it was like for the old women elder women um or like once you get to your 50s you're allowed to cut your hair but yeah my mom did not, that after so yeah, it's like, after it's like 60s she started cutting her hair yeah, it's like a mid crisis, mid age crisis. I don't know what it is, how society sees it, but when you were fifty, you were allowed to cut your hair. But at my age, you can't do that. You're not yet married, so yeah. like you, you, you're not gonna find a man. So it was. <laughs> yeah, I know of uh, a bunch yeah. of tribes. Uh, it's yeah. one of the requirements. As soon as you lose your husband, doesn't matter what age the woman mm-hmm. is, it's a requirement for the woman to cut her hair. Okay. It, okay. it's one one thing so yeah so um one of the most popular musicians in nigeria Oyenka Owenu, she's always had low cut for yeah. a long time okay. and uh i think that kind of was conflicted for them so mm-hmm. when, when i got to find out about women cutting their hair like uh, being made to cut their it's not like you have the you, it's not like you choose to you are, you're forced like they forcefully cut your hair they forcefully cut wow. your hair yeah uh, as part of the morning process, it's supposed to be, there, there's some crazy stuff. If you look into uh, out, what yeah. happens to women when their husbands that lose their husband, it's not it's not a colorful thing to look into. Yeah, um, I'll check into it. It's so funny it, the meaning of hair. It's like so I wasn't aware of all this. I thought it was just hair, and I I decided to cut mine because mm-hmm. I I decided to do the big chop uh, back in 2014, and um, I had to cut it again because it was growing in a weird way. And then people were like, what are you going to do if it gets long? Like, you don't know how to manage it. Like, you know, they were always scared, like managing your hair, managing. And I was like, do you mean treating my hair? Like, I don't understand that, why. That you That is that. Yeah. the way to say it, treating and, your hair. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it was so funny. that like, so I cut it again because of all the pressure. Um, wow. So all I, this hair that yeah. you got, you've cut it how many times now? I think I did it like a good three times. Yeah. Wow. Okay. You, like you got a lot short. of hair. Thanks to Rihanna for the short hair because I was like, it's like Rihanna. So that's why I guess people accepted the short hair. But uh, at the time, Rihanna just had her hair cut as well. 
So people were like, okay, it's accepted. And also I feel like there's that idea of like, if someone else is doing it, someone else with a more, um, how can I say that? A bigger people, following. Yeah, bigger following. It's yeah. like they can approve type of thing. They approve the style. And then people are like, okay, you can follow. But yeah. but you, you're nobody to just start doing whatever you want. It, it was it was very interesting what yeah. I learned with yeah. that. <laughs> you just reminded me of... Um, there are certain haircuts um, back when I used to go to barbershops in Nigeria, that uh, in various parts of Nigeria, that were named after celebrities. I don't believe that those haircuts, th those were the real names of the haircuts, but in those cities, I think th those were the names that they went by. So mm -hmm. I remember, I just remember a few of them right now. Um, Anita Baker, okay. uh, MC Hammer, Bobby wow. Brown. I guess I can figure what's the MC Hammer one. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. You, you, from the names, you can figure them out. Uh, which one? What else? I know I I did Bobby Brown. Uh, my brother did Anita Baker because he was crazy about <laughs> Anita Baker. Tony Braxton. Tony Braxton was the yeah. one that a lot of women got away with, and when she was that period where she was hot, you, yeah, you mm. like oh I did Tony Braxton, and you do the pattern on in the middle of your hair. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, any man sees that they won't they won't ask you any question. They'll be like, "Oh, Tony Braxton, right? I love Tony Braxton. That's ah, I love, I love, I love." They won't ask you any question. They'll just be like, "That's crazy." Well, yeah. I had the Rihanna haircut. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I just I forgot I forgot about that. <laughs> uh, That's how it is. Crazy. Yeah. So we have to start wrapping up. Uh, this uh, this is a beautiful episode. I would I would have loved to continue, but we 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 out of time. But um, yeah. So let me see. Two two questions. Let me go. Two questions. Well, let me three questions. So, quick answer to this one. Do you have any plans to open a restaurant in the future? Because you do a whole lot of food posting <laughs> and all that, making us salivate and be swallowing our saliva twenty four seven. Oh my god! Thank you so much for following all my uh, food stories and everything. And like, I'm really happy you like what I cook. I. I don't know for the restaurant. Honestly, I'll let that for the future to decide. Um, I, I'm not a chef. It's really a passion that I discovered I had during the pandemic. That's really coming from the pandemic. Oh, and wow. Okay. I, well, it started with being natural on the hair side. And then I decided to continue being natural and started eating more health, like healthier. Okay. So that's how I started. And I also have uh, IBS, irritable bowel syndrome. So oh. whatever I was eating, I was getting bloated all the time. And and I tried so many things. I tried different recipes from like IBS recipes and stuff. And they were still using things that I couldn't. So I, I was like, okay, I need to personalize this and start cooking what I can eat. So that's how I really started that. And then in the pandemic, I started sharing it yeah. on my Instagram. So, um, and then I, I just developed that passion and I tried to keep it like a little bit Caribbean. Um, like I, I use avocados, plantains, like mm -hmm. Caribbean and, and Latin America, I would say they also use, um, avocados and like plantains. Yeah. Plantains um, are huge for us too. I, I, plantains too are huge in Africa as well. So I'm trying to like check different recipes and just kind of switch it to what I can eat with the ingredients that I can. I I don't do meat. I don't do a lot of meat, but okay. I, I don't consider myself like fully vegan. I I do can eat chicken sometimes and like 
um, pepperoni pizza and stuff like that. But it would be very much less than a normal person. Like I can eat three times a year meat. Like um, my dad gave me a, a chicken last year and it's still in my freezer. Oh, so wow. that's how much I don't eat meat. But <laughs> so um, so it really helped me on the really much like health side because of the IBS that I was that I was having and and I I used pills and everything. They were not working until I realized it was really coming from my diet. So uh, mm. now I'm much better, like less bloated and stuff. So I just wanted to share share my my recipes uh, online or what I do on my Instagram pages. So hopefully, hopefully future hears you and uh, let's manifest that I will eventually open a restaurant in the long run. But with the pandemic right now, restaurants are all closed. So, I, so we're getting close to the end of the tunnel. Seen. So we'll see. Yeah, we'll see, we'll see. <laughs> ah, that's beautiful. So um, music, I don't have enough time to go deep into music, but uh do you have any uh, favorite Haitian artists? Uh, are you are your your favorite artist um, non-Haitian that you would like to drop? Give us a name. Or two. Oh, names. I I listen Good. to a bit of everything. Like I I if I if I'm gonna like say about the Haitian music, it's it's very much involving right now because we have the compa, which is. Um, I would say it's a slow merengue if you want to compare it to oh, something that you would know. Okay. And and now it's really developing. It's involving. There's also like like uh, they do um, rock, a mix of rock now with Haitian music. They also do like very um, not antique, but like very roots music, a little bit more um, mixed with African roots because we're also um, mixed with Africans, so it's a huge part of our culture. So then you will be having um, racine. It's called racine, so it will be roots in English. Okay. Um, so so it's like really with the with the drums and everything. So now it's really involving, and they're they're mixing that with pop, with house, and with R and B. So the music is really involving and. Uh, and uh, I would say I listen to reggaeton as well and Afro House. Uh, yeah, well, so give us artist name, artist, artist drop names. Drop names. We need to we need to get you trapped so that the the fans of the other ones will come after you and be like, "What you didn't name our person?" I know that's what I was trying to 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 uh, avoid. Nah, I'm, I'm, I, I want to get you in trouble. Good trouble, but well, yeah. there's there's my friend. He's doing a mix of compa and sometimes bachata. Nice. And, uh, his name would be TMD. TMD, and, uh, as in yeah. TMD. Yes. Okay. T I E M D I, and then you have Naika music right now. She's uh, she's really popping, and uh, she does a little bit of like pop mixed with African beats and Haitian beats. Nice. She makes a lot of stuff. And you have, give me one second, there's another one. There is Michael Michael Brown. He's also... Oh, that sounds familiar. I mean, I've heard his music. Yeah, I probably know him. He's pretty known. And then there's my favorite, uh, Gardi. 
Gardi Giraud. He's like one of my favorite. And reggaeton, I love Nicky yeah, Jam. I'm not, I'm not going to be able to pronounce that. Gabzi. Gar- yeah. It's G- G- G-A-R-D-Y. Yeah. Say, say, send me the, all the, all the artists the afterwards. Yeah, I'll send you the okay. And on, on the reggaeton <laughs> side, I, I, I just love Nikki Jam and uh, like I'm, I'm obsessed with him. And <laughs> and Afro House, I love my favorite. That's the last one. Yeah. Um, I love. Uh, wait, give me one second. Like I need to check my Spotify. We're so dependent of Spotify right now for music. Right? I, that's that's fine. I, mean, I want to pronounce, okay. pronounce it well. Because <laughs> now Afro, Afrobeat is like, everybody's listening to it. It's like really popping and they're doing an amazing job. Like, we love it. There's Malik Berry that I like. Oh, Malik Berry. And yeah. the other one, like my all-time favorite, where is he? Whiskey. Um, yes, I like him. That's popular. Uh, that, uh, what's his yeah. name? Bonner Boy? Bon- Bonner Boy is the same. I like him. Uh, the best. Davido? Like, popular. No, no, Davido, those, yeah, those are the, are the Holy pop- Trinity the, for many people, right? Yeah, they're like, they're like the best of the best, you know? But this one, I, I like him. I like, I, it's like my personal favorite, not no. just because he's, he's known. Um, what's his um, name? Naira uh, Mali? No, it's not it. I'll find it. I'll find it. Wait a second. I have it in my playlist. I know you don't have much time. God, why about this? I'm really not not good with names. That's a, that's fine. That's fine. I, I, <laughs> oh, Fireboy! I thought. Wait, I I think it's Fireboy. Wait. Fireboy. Oh, Fireboy. Fireboy. Yeah, yeah my my, my cousin Fire... is crazy about him. Oh, I love him so much. Like I love his songs, and especially like the last. The before last album that was the best. All right. Okay. So final question: What would you like to leave the audience with? Could be a um, a quote. Could be a line from your favorite book or song, or just you know something you'd like to leave the audience with to wrap it up. Yeah, sure. Um, I'll just do it very quickly. It's like I I think people shouldn't be afraid of just following their passion and trust the process because um, I think I'm a true believer that you just need to start because if you don't start, you will just be stuck somewhere and never do whatever you want to do. And then it's just going to impact on your happiness. And um, how I would conclude this, the, the fact that I'm also doing a lot, it's also that I'm searching for that happiness. So sometimes it's good and sometimes it's not. So I want to tell everybody who's listening to that podcast is like, make sure you know your purpose because that's the mistake that I've known that I've done before. I didn't know my purpose. So I was just doing things just to find happiness. And then as soon as I finished doing the project, like I'm back to not being happy. So like, don't be dependent on your project. Like make sure you know your purpose and you're, and it's like a little bit separate than your happiness. Like it's good if it makes you happy, but it shouldn't be dependent of it so um and also like think long run instead of short term because you know we live in a capitalist society where we're always like i want to do something just to get short-term happiness and then after you you just keep keep growing other things and then you're never happy so i would just i would just tell everybody to just make sure you're doing things for the right reasons and know your purpose all righty thank you for those beautiful words of inspiration 
And where can people find you and um, listen to your awesome podcast? Yeah, um, they can find me on Instagram um, for the podcast Immigrant D underscore podcast. And um, so basically all my podcast is in there. They will find the link in the bio to listen to the podcast if they type on Spotify or Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, I'm, I'm everywhere. So uh, they would find just the podcast name Immigrant Dilemma. They, they should find it. So it should be easy. They can even type on Google. They would find it on my website and, and everything. Yeah. Awesome. And I'll add that to the show notes and make sure people um, go check it out. All right. Um, merci Baku Nakuna. Is, uh, that's a new thank you that I just learned from one of the languages awesome. in Nigeria. And um, yeah, so I appreciate you and uh, um, much love to you. And thanks for coming on the podcast. Um, hope to um, do something with you down the line again. And uh, keep the love coming. And to everyone listening, thank you for your support. We appreciate you all. And hey, thank you for the privilege of your company. Thank you so much for inviting me. And, and yeah, we should definitely do something in the long run. So we'll stay in touch. Most definitely. Thanks for listening to White Label American. If you enjoyed the show, we'll appreciate if you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast from. If you have any questions, comments, or have someone who will be a good guest on the show, or you want to be on the show, send us a message at whitelabelamerican at gmail.com. And make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at White Label American. Thank you for your support.